to Across the Margin the Podcast. I am your host, Michael Shields, and thank you for joining again today. It's always such a thrill and honor to have you along for these journeys. Today's episode is one that acts as a warning, one revealing of a truly distressing truth, and that truth is that dictatorships can truly arise anywhere in any country, no matter where or when. This episode, I hope, will serve as a reminder that our liberty and our democratic way of governing ourselves must never be taken for granted. I've always imagined authoritarian rule was something that could never happen in America, but recent events and also digging into the histories of the rise of dictators has caused me to pause and accept that the United States is susceptible. We are not immune, and I believe this episode will illuminate just why. Today, I am fortunate enough to share with you an interview I conducted with Wolfgang Mack, author of Parallels in Autocracy, How Nations Lose Their Liberty. Wolfgang was a young boy when the Nazi party took over Germany and began a path of destruction that would cost millions of lives. This tumultuous time influenced his interest in autocratic leadership and dictatorship. When his grandchildren questioned why this act of genocide happened, he began to dive deeply into the underlying cause of politicians' abuse of power, the rights and wrongs, in the politics of nations and basic human morality. And from that was born his book, in which he combines his personal journey and political analysis to assess the terrible damage autocracy does to civil society and how a legitimately elected leader is able to gain control. Parallels in Autocracy also includes an overview of our current political systems, presents trends in national leadership, and assesses if our leaders are honestly and fairly carrying out the duties of their oath of office, and truly putting the interest of the people first. His book, and the conversation to follow, examines how a country, regardless of its sophisticated political life, can fall under the influence of a dictatorship. It asks what drives leaders to want complete control over civilians, and examines why. It delves into how living through tyrannous leadership impacts a person's trust and authority throughout their entire lifetime and digs into lessons other countries have learned from their dictatorships, and explores how elected officials can stop a leader from becoming authoritarian before it's too late. About his book, Wolfgang asserts that there is indeed one political message in this book. It is to remind all of us that our liberty and our democratic way of governing ourselves must never be taken for granted. As you'll hear in this interview, the rise of a dictatorship often happens subtly, with incremental changes, and thus, we all have to stay aware. This interview is a wake-up call for sure, but also a deeply personal exploration of Wolfgang's experience living under a dictator, something assuredly we all wish to avoid. So, let's dig in. Here is my interview with Wolfgang Mack. discuss the notion of what happens to the ordinary person, what they go through, living through uh, a dictatorship, um, how, do they, how they cope with oppression and 
persecution. Um, how does, from your experience, an ordinary person deal with the dilemma when his own beliefs uh, are different from the way he's forced to live? I know you can speak on this personally. Well, it puts an awful burden on the ordinary people because most of us are brought up with some level of uh, uh, morality, common morality. And the test now comes when you're living in a society where enough people have signed up to the creed of a, an autocrat to make them do terrible things to their fellow citizens. And you stand there trying to make a decision every day whether to follow your own standards of, uh, of decency and morality and interfere with injustice or whether to retreat into your own safety because you know if you do speak up, uh, you most likely will wind up to be a victim yourself. And that is the constant threat over that's hanging over the heads of the ordinary people who are walking the streets trying just to do their living, to, to care for their family, to care for their children, to care for their friends. Um, and, and this constant gnawing at the conflict of morality and decency changes, eventually changes the character of people and eventually the character of an entire nation. Yeah, that's a lot to think about. You mentioned how character is actually replaced by um, acquiescence. And and uh, you even mentioned, which I thought was interesting, that kind of the best case of dealing it is, um, you know, you reward it with hope um, for a better world. That that was interesting. But um, kind of to follow up that question, there was, um, you uh, discussed the practice of, um, I, I believe I'm pronouncing it right, Sippenhaft. Um, and that was very disturbing to me. I was wondering if you could speak on um, what it, you know, what it is and what it did to you, and how it is employed um, by dictators, because that was a, a method of um, controlling people and families and and, and, and acquaintances. The, the common thread that goes through all of the politicians that somehow have turned into dictators is almost paralyzing fear that they cannot reach into the minds of their subjects, of their citizens. And specifically, they are always in terrible fear of resistance of any kind. Mm -hmm. Now, their weapons, very subtle sometimes and sometimes not so subtle, to keep their citizens in line so to speak. And the uh, one of the many elements of that uh, is, of course, this concept of Sippenhaft, mm. uh, the idea that if anyone uh, trespasses in any form, whether he can be caught or not, his whole family, his wife, his mother, his father, his children, his immediate relatives are held responsible. Uh, the idea being that 
you extend the reach of police into every single family itself. It is a very uh, insidious and uh, and uh, highly immoral way, of course, uh, to keep control over the population. It is highly effective. Mm -hmm. Just try to put yourself in the shoes of someone who could see their immediate relatives, their their wives, their sons, mm -hmm. their daughters, hauled in because you would be accused, not convicted, but accused of having of some wrongdoing. It is an extremely effective weapon of terror. Yeah, I couldn't. I just could not imagine um, the feeling of not being able to trust anyone, and that's really, really what it sounds like. Um, I know we're going to be speaking to some parallels to um, some things that are happening in the, our, our country right now. Um, and I think this kind of points to one. In the second chapter of your book, um, that's entitled Germany's um, Road to Dictatorship, you speak of how it seems so preposterous that an outsider like Hitler could, uh, could rise to power. I'm curious what it was like, this kind of shocking rise to power, and how it was a benefit that he actually was an outsider. He was kind of not one of, not one of theirs, is how he was seen. Well, we have seen that in many other politicians on a, on a much smaller scale. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, a politician, among other trades, has to have the ability of turning a negative into what seems to be a positive. Uh, you know, we have, of course, uh, the, uh, the typical statement uh, by an upcoming politician that, quote-unquote, he will drain the swamp. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that's in the same vein as what happened in Germany. Definitely. Here comes the guy totally outside of the establishment, not even a German citizen. I mean, Austrian was close enough, mm -hmm. but um, certainly an outsider. And immediately turning that into an advantage, saying, I'm above all of you little squabbles. Mm -hmm. I only see the big picture for you, Germans. Uh, that's uh, standard fare for politicians to do, and the Germans fell for it. Uh, amazingly, if you consider the very conservative, basic inclination of most Germans at the time, uh, if you consider uh, their almost admiration of the establishment as, as being predestined to lead them, and here comes the guy, totally outside, making that outsider situation into an advantage, and people fell for it. Mm -hmm. Now we had we had a campaign in our own country uh, four years ago, mm -hmm. where another guy who was in political terms an outsider, and and so many people fell for it. Yeah, and and. and here we are. Um, there was also uh, in that section, you know, the, it was a nod to the um, one of the phrases he would use: uh, "We will make Germany 
uh, great again, which was kind of really terrifying just to see and think about. Um, something that manifests itself so important in your book is that um, in countries basically well-established um, civic and, uh, you know, with well-established civic and, you know, political institutions, dictatorships, they rise in increments and in small steps. I thought this was a really important thing that you pointed out and, and pointed out so well um, in your book. I was I was wondering if you can explain what you mean by this and how it happens this, how, this way, how it happens kind of in a more subtle nature. The first thing is most people who haven't spent much time uh, learning about history, whenever the question of dictatorship comes up, they think about, you know, huge upheavals, uh, uh, you know, uh, the military storming the government buildings mm-hmm. and tanks rolling in the streets and all that. But the important thing to realize is that most dictatorships in what I call otherwise orden, uh, orderly countries mm-hmm. happen in small increments. And it all starts with a pretty sudden disease, if you wish, uh, that that uh, invades the minds of otherwise uh, legitimately elected leaders that all of a sudden some of those leaders think that they alone understand what ails their country and they alone know how to fix it. And the next step of that is once a political leader has gotten that concept in his mind, the next step is to transfer that belief into the minds of his followers. Uh, it's, it's like the uh, uh, analogy of, of, of a virus as we are suffering right now, uh, taking hold in the minds of his followers. And once he has established that transfer of, of that, um, I call it messianic belief mm-hmm. into his followers, he has an army of people who will do almost anything to fulfill the wishes of the politician. Yeah, yeah, that's that's wild. That that kind of cult of personality they follow. Um, your book highlights uh, um, four uh, and explores the history of four dictators besides Hitler: um, Portugal, Salazar, Spain's Franco, Argentinians Pajon, um, uh, and Italy's Mussolini. Um, and it becomes obviously real quick. They had a few things in common that attributed attributed to their um, to their rise of power. And I, I know we mentioned one in in the fear, um, uh, but the, you know there was a couple through lines that they kind of all had in common in their rise of power. Um, and you know, kind of speaking to the courts and stacking the courts. And I was just wondering if you could speak on some of the things they had in common as they as they kind of took hold of their country. The first thing to say is, you know, none of them entered the political life with the intent to become a dictator. Mm. None of them, when they started out in their political career, gave any signs that they might wind up to be a dictator. That feels real important That only developed once they had been legitimately elected 
not under false premises, mm-hmm. but totally legitimately elected. And then somewhere along the line, something struck. It is that, what I call that messianic belief mm-hmm. uh, bug that infected them, and then they infected their entourage, their followers, with the same bug. And once that's on its way, it feeds on itself. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, just to kind of circle back, I just think it was it's really, really important to the, the other part of my question was uh, the idea that, um, and I, I forget which dictator specifically was really focused on this, and I, I think it kind of goes across, but the, the idea of stacking the courts to kind of, the, the goal there, if I'm correct, in each case is to just make sure all your misdeeds, all your um, things, you know, criminal activities that you do or corrupt activities, make sure that you're insulated from, you're protected from, um, you know, any sort of, um, uh, you know, responsibility there. So stacking the courts seems like a really, really uh, big play for, for uh, dictators on the rise. Now, here comes the political part of my book. Right. If you wish. Yeah, please. I'm, I'm very disturbed, like many other people should be, mm-hmm. or all should be, that in our America, we have already seen a systematic and open uh, effort to achieve, to turn, to turn our uh, justice system yep. into a ideological or even directly political army of its own. And the thing that disturbs me personally, and I think I expressed that in my book, is the lack of uproar in our population about that. I agree. You know, we all have such strong faith in the soundness of our political system mm-hmm. into uh, such things as uh, our checks and balance uh, idea flowing from our constitution that the most critical part has already been undermined openly mm-hmm. to turn the justice system from being made to interpret and enforce our laws into following the ideological trends of what's considered to be a majority in our political system. The lack of of, uh, disdain and the lack of understanding what's happening Mm -hmm. to us is amazing. And coming back to my observations about dictatorships, the very first thing is when you're an ordinary person and you see terrible things happen, people being beaten up in front of you, people disappearing, mm-hmm. and uh, and then you you ask yourself, okay, let's turn to our justice system. And then you find out that you can't mm-hmm. because they won't listen. And are, are we getting already on that path? Mm-hmm. And why is it? that there isn't a public uproar about it. I agree. It feels like people are not freaking out enough about um, some, of, some of these systems. I, I believe so many people have faith 
um, in, in these institutions to protect us and they're already being compromised and, 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 and just like you said, in incremental ways and just I don't feel the, the, the rage and, and the concern and that's why, why, why your book is so so important. Um, besides the, the justice system being compromised in part three of your book, um, it's concluding act. You, uh, you ask, you know, is the United States of America immune and obviously, from our discussion, we're, we're saying the answer is no. And from your book, um, I'd like to hear if you talk about some other ways besides just the justice system that um, America is not immune or showing signs that it's clearly not immune to um, this sort of thing happening here. Well, let me pre- <clears throat> preface my answer by saying again, I'm not looking and our present situations through the lens of any particular party okay. yep. or even any particular ideology. Absolutely. My main my main issue is looking at our leadership. My main issue is are they following the oath of office mm-hmm. that they swore when they were voted in? Uh, and uh, that oath of office uh, clearly states that they have to protect the nation its constitution and, and with the emphasis is mine, to bring to it full faith, uh, meaning to act in full faith, as we now, uh, our present language uh, puts it. Uh, and if that good faith is put into question, then we are in real difficulties. And when people no longer put that question of good faith into play, then they are submitting themselves to just the will of our politicians. And that's the beginning of dictatorship. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, I want to thank you, too, for pointing out um, just kind of how uh, the Senate and the Electoral College can uh, both endanger the very existence of um Democracy. It's something I talk about a lot, and I think it's something that needs to be talking talked about more. It's 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 really important. That whole last section of your book was was really telling, and and it was very nonpartisan, which was great, and really just to look at, you know, how you know how what we should be asking from from our president and and in our systems and the changes that we need. It was really really good stuff. Um, to kind of you know work towards closing down this conversation, and I'm very grateful for you taking the time. Um, I'd like to know what your hope for uh, a takeaway from this book is. As as you do close the book, it's it's with a kind of very inspirational message, and I'd like to hear you know your thoughts on that. Well, first of all, you know I'm a newcomer to this country, mm. but that was 60 years ago. Mm. Um, and in the meantime, like many other converts, I'm more more of a patriot than most of my compatriots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have actually a pretty unshakable faith that the basic decency of the American people will will win out. That I think there there is enough of a recognition of the value of each of us to overcome any collective movement uh, that might threaten our democracy. I, I think uh, I didn't mean to have my book come out precisely at the time 
of an election on the way. Uh, you know, I meant to have it out in the public uh, at least half a year ago already. Mm. Uh, but uh, our, our, my, my, uh, the publicists uh, were a little bit slow on that. Mm -hmm. but, but since we are now uh, at the cusp of uh, a, a new situation, uh, I have great faith in our American public that they will take advantage of the one right that we still have, and that's the right to, to vote. Mm -hmm. um, yes, uh, there have been some nibbles uh, uh, at, at this basic right of, in our democracy, but uh, still, we can vote, and we are voting. And uh, I'm not telling people what party to vote for. I'm telling, mm -hmm. I, I'm hoping people will vote for people they can trust. Yeah. And that issue of trust in government and is terribly important because not only does it deal with the question of do we trust our supreme leaders, it, it trickles down, forgive me the metaphor, it trickles down to each person. Do we trust each other? If we cannot trust our leaders, it puts a big dent also in how we think we can trust each other, citizen to citizen. Uh, so, you know, things that happen on the very top of our leadership are not detached from what sentiments are being fostered in our democracy base. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I just, I walked away um, with, and this is, I think this is always crucial, the reminder that um, our liberty and our uh, democratic way of governing can, um, it can't be taken for granted. It's something we always got to stay alert. Um, and so thank you for that message. Um, your book, it, it's really eye-opening, um, and it's important, and it's, its like you just mentioned, it's accidentally timely, um, and your personal story within the whole thing is, is so intriguing and um, so much to learn from it there. So it's, it's, I really, truly appreciate your time talking about this today, so thank you very much. Well, I thank you very much for your interest and uh, give me the opportunity of talking about my favorite subject. You know a thing or two about it too, which is which is really wonderful. The, the historical aspect to it, you know, it's it's got so many angles to it. You know, the personal story where you get to experience what you know, what so many of us can't imagine. I can't imagine what it's like living in there, and then kind of the deep dive into history, and then kind of the look at, you know, how it all relates today. It's 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 a lot going on, but um, it's all it's all very important stuff. So thanks so much. Thank you so much, and uh, good luck in your work.